Welcome back to Friends Like Us. Marina Franklin here, your host. This week on Friends, I want to remind you that this is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Please make sure that you are checking in on your breast health. Make sure you are doing mammograms. If you have dense breast tissue, you need to get an ultrasound along with your mammogram. Early detection is your best protection as well. There are some apps to make sure that your products that you're putting into your body are clean. Now, this is from me doing the Silent Spring Institute, which I definitely recommend you check out at silentspringinstitute.com. There's two apps. There's one that's called Detox Me, and the one that I'm using that's really great is called Clear Ya. C-L-E-A-R-Y-A, Clearia, which will tell you what is in your product. So don't forget that. Well, I want to welcome back some very funny ladies and a new friend. It's been way too long. Sarah Cooper is here. She's a writer, comedian with millions of followers across social media. She's the author of How to Be Successful Without Hurting Men's Feelings and 100 Tricks to Appear Smart in Meetings, as well as the star of the hit Netflix comedy special, Sarah Cooper, Everything's Fine. Check out Sarah's new debut memoir, Foolish, Tales of Assimilation, Determination, and Humiliation. Yes, she's here. Welcome back, Sarah. Also, welcome back, Zainab Johnson. Quickly being propelled as one of the most unique and engaging performers on stage and screen. And let me tell you, I agree. Zainab is currently a series regular on the Amazon original hit series titled Upload from Greg Daniels. And she stars in her very first one-hour comedy special, Hijabs Off, premiering worldwide October 24th, only on Amazon Prime Video. Also welcome, new friend to the show, Erica Switzer. I've been following her for a while, and I just, I like seeing her rise. She is definitely one of my young stars. As seen on Roast Battle Chicago, is your bougie jet-setting auntie who twerks to NPR. A divorce and failed rebound in Shanghai, China, led to her marvelous Miss Maisel moment in July of 2017. She is the co-founder of Shanghai's Blackout Comedy and founder of Hi Now Comedy. Erica became the first black comedian to perform in Mongolia at the 2019 Silk Road International Comedy Festival. She is also the producer of Erica Switzer and Friends, this year's New York City Black Women in Comedy Laugh Fest. You can hear us on Google Podcasts Now, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. Review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. Make sure you turn on the auto-download function for Friends Like Us on Apple Podcasts. You can email us at friendslikeuspodcast at gmail. Instagram is friendslikeuspodcast and Twitter is friendslikeus10. Become more than a friend. Leave us a tip or donation by going to our Patreon page. Go to Patreon backslash friendslikeus. Special shout out to our Patreon friends. It's because of you we keep going. And now for our golden friends, you have the option to watch our recordings live backstage. Go to Patreon backslash friendslikeus and be golden. Merch is available. We have t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, face masks, tank tops. They're all available. Go to marinafranklin.com. Saturdays on my YouTube channel, I go live with my friend Evelyn Frick, that wacky Dave Jeskow, and we give updates to the show. We shout out fans who leave reviews, and we have surprise guest friends from the podcast stop by. And sometimes we offer free stuff. 
like tickets to comedy shows. With friends like us, it'll help you feel not so alone because more content is on the way. Tell a friend you know to check us out. Stay safe, wash those dirty little hands, be nice, and Black Lives Matter. We've got Erica Switzer. She's a new friend. She's a young star from Chicago, we've got Sarah Cooper, who's been on the show before, and since then, she's been a star you should explore, and Zaynab, ooh, Zaynab, Zaynab is my beautiful star, she's got a special coming out, and it should go very far, yeah, yeah, Ooh. wow, that was amazing. Thank you. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> That's my, my singing improv skills. Yay. So we do have a great episode for you today. And I'm excited because two of you have been just doing amazing things. And the third, Erica Switzer, who is completely new to both of you, I'm sure. She's an up and coming comedian that I've just been following and watching. And I'm excited about everything you're doing. You're in Chicago, right, Erica? I'm Chicago with Jason. I'm in Naperville these days. <laughs> oh, Naperville. That's that's smart. <laughs> I like hey. Naperville. I mean, the rent is still high, you know, but <laughs> I like it. I can deal with it. So, Erica, like, I, how is it going? As, how many years of stand-up have you been doing? Six. Six years. Now you're on this show with, and and you've been coming up. Has there been anything like, do you know Zainab, Sarah, me? <laughs> well, I know you from back in the day because I was a huge Chappelle show fan and watched every single episode to the point where I had most of them memorized. So definitely knew you from back in the day and I've been following you ever since. And again, that whole Chicago connection, I'm all about our beautiful talented sisters to come out from Chicago. Um, Sarah, I was tracking you while I was living in Shanghai, China and watching you do your thing. And Zineb, I started doing comedy in Shanghai, China and saw your headshot on the wall at Kung Fu Comedy and said, yeah, I think I could do this too. She's dope. Well, welcome. Yeah. Yes. And how is the road for you? How is it in Chicago? Is it, do you want to leave Chicago? Are you touring? Like, I'm just curious where you are at six years. Well, I did a little touring of the Midwest uh, last year over three different states with a couple of buddies of mine and got a chance to, you know, test the waters in some places. And I really love Chicago. I've done festivals on both coasts, but there's like nothing that beats our scene, I think. Um, New York scene is beautiful for, you know, y'all just damn near 24 hours, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> if there's time, there's mics. You know, you can hop on mics anywhere. Chicago has a little bit less than that, but I feel there's something a little more organic in our scene that you definitely wouldn't get uh, in L.A., you know? So I love it here. Nice. And, and what are your, um, I guess... You know, I would always get annoyed with, so I'm going to ask you the, the annoying question that bothered me. Like, what what do you want to do with stand-up? I always used to say, I'm doing it. Mm. <laughs> but I am curious. Like, what what is your next project? What's your goal with stand-up? 
I always envisioned myself at a certain age, like right before 40, hopping out of corporate life and shaving half my head and getting full sleeve of tattoos and doing stand up and touring, doing that kind of stuff. Um, that age has passed. I still have all my hair, not as many tattoos, and I can see myself uh, retiring at 57 on a ranch in Colorado, not having to pay for many meals or drinks for the rest of my life, and being able to, to live comfortably. God, well, I can get some movies and TV under my belt. Your girl is ready. I have folks in China saying, so how do you feel about possibly being like the next Leslie Jones? I was like, okay. Why not? Wonderful. Well, I'm going to be in Chicago this weekend. So I'm really excited about that. Um, Yeah, that's all I had to add. Thank you. (laughs) Well, you know, Sarah's been on the show, the podcast, and I met Sarah when she, you booked me for a comedy show. And then. Yeah, I booked you for a comedy show for the book my last book, How to Be Successful Without Hurting Men's Feelings. And you were on that show. Do you yeah, remember? The, that was yeah, at the was stand. At stand. It was at Stand, oh, stand, or up, stand, New up, stand up New York. Yeah. And, yeah. and I remember meeting you and you were just always lovely, like very happy, very enthusiastic about the scene. And you wrote, you wrote this book and I know you were worked at Google and I met you through Stephen Calabria. And I was just like, Look at this young comedian. And then all then you did the podcast and then the pandemic happened and you were like this like suddenly this movie star, sensation, celebrity. I don't want to say overnight cuz you've been building your career with like I always tell people this. I was like she's been writing books forever. So she is a writer. <laughs> okay? And she has worked at Google. So I guess my question is, is did any of that prepare you for Hollywood? Um, I think I've been sort of always trying to check a lot of boxes. And I think that was, that really worked well. And sort of at Google, you're just trying to like, like you asked Erica what her goals are. And I was just thinking to myself, like, ugh, goals. Like, <laughs> do we have to have goals? Like, can't we just just be doing it and <laughs> um and I think that's what I was doing I was like goal five minute set goal get get a late night set goal do this do this do this and um I um and, and then when the pandemic hit I you know I couldn't you know I couldn't perform for two people at two boots pizza anymore because it was closed so I was at home and so then I was um making stuff on the internet and then that just completely changed my life but I didn't really see that coming and all of a sudden I all the boxes got checked over that's what it felt like all the boxes got checked I got a you know I got my late night set I got I sold you know two pilots I did all this stuff and I didn't have like Zainab I'm so excited to hear about your special because I feel like to be at the helm of a production like that takes so much inner strength and knowing who you are that I feel like I didn't have in 2020 yet. You know, I was in a relationship with someone who wasn't right for me. I was just kind of living this sort of like, get this, get this, get this without trying to figure out like, who am I? Like, what is my vibe? Like, what exactly do I want to like, what what kind of comedy do I actually want to make? You know, I had, I'd been obsessed with 
the Colbert Report, and I then I'll be obsessed with Trevor Noah and obsessed with all of these different things. And just I I auditioned for the Daily Show. I just wanted to get anything. And then when you get everything all at once, you're like, oh, what do I actually want? And I think I took me a while to figure out like what do I actually want. So I don't know. That was like a really long answer to it was a great answer too, because I, I Zainab is someone that, you know, I've always felt like from the moment I've met Zainab, Zainab knew who she was. <laughs> and I was always like, I want to be a better person because Zainab is here. <laughs> I always tell you that. But Zainab, did you ever go through that moment where you were like, I each stage of what you, I know it's not all like coming on as like Sarah was saying, but was there ever a moment where you were like, oh, I'm not ready for this or I don't feel like this is, you know, all of this is happening too fast? Uh, no, I don't think I ever felt like anything is happening too fast. Although I, I definitely deal with moments where I'm overwhelmed because I think just the nature of entertainment period is is that you go from zero to 100 really quick, you know? Um, I don't think that anybody ever really operates like just at a base level, you know, like just at 50 yeah. in the business. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I definitely set goals and then sometimes you pivot and, and you're like, wait, what am I doing? Where am I going? Or you get burned out or something or, or then you achieve the goal and you're like, what's next? You know? So like, I feel like, um, yeah, I feel like I've ex- experienced it all. I do know when I did last comic standing, I did not feel like I went in, I got auditions and I thought that my set was really good. I knew that I was funny. I knew that. And, and, you know, so I wasn't, at first I wasn't surprised that I was there. And then when I got into the green room and I was with like 20 other comics and they all were talking about how they had 20 plus years of experience under their belt. It was that moment that I was like, oh, well, I've only been here for about two and a half years. So maybe I don't quite belong. You know, like at that point then my confidence was a little bit like, uh, maybe it was a mistake. Like who, why am I here? You know? Um, and then, and then I got on stage and then remembered why. And then you killed it and it was all good. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah. I think, I think I'm, I, I think I overthink things too. Like, I feel like if you look at a lot of the early work of some big comedians, like they were still trying to figure out their voice too, you know? Yeah. Um, and they didn't, you know, maybe, it, yeah, and then and then you change, your voice changes. Hopefully you grow and you change. Um, but that's, I think that's why I love it so much more than the corporate world because the corporate world is supposed to be like this. And this this is a little bit more exciting because mm-hmm. you're really not sure um, what the next step is sometimes. Sarah, how long have you been doing stand-up? <clears throat> I did stand-up for the first time in 2011, 2010, something like that. Um, but then I, I moved to New York. I was going to be the next Chris Rock and then I went broke and then I ended up at Google and it's a weird thing to say. Like I ended up in a dead end job at Google. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so then I was at Google for a while and I was doing, I was doing bringers at Gotham, you know, and having my coworkers come to see me do stand up. Um, 
And that was actually good because they have money for two drink minimums. So um, that worked out. <laughs> and then I and then I left Google when I wrote this article that went viral and, you know, started writing and really focusing on writing and didn't really think that I was, I don't know, I was really more focused on writing than I was on performing. And then when I started doing the videos, then I was like, oh, I, I like almost rediscovered performing and re- rediscovered kind of my childhood dream, was, which was to act. And then, yeah, I mean, it's taken me a while to realize like, hey, I, I really like improv and I really like, I really like just, I don't know, being different characters. And I don't know, there's so much, it's, it, it's, it's like a transition to go from like, hey, what do people want from me and what do I, what do, what do, what do people want from me and what can I say yes to versus like, what do I want to do? How do I want to spend my days? What really, like, what is the thing that like, if no one told me to do it, I would do it anyway. And you have to like find that. And I think 2020 was just like so many things. And I was just like, yes, yes, yes. And I'm glad I said yes to all of it. Um, But then it took me a while to be like, well, now I have to be like this, this is it. This is what I want. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine that that can happen. Like if you have, um, you know, like if if you have a big success in one area, like let's say, I mean, for you, it was the internet, right? It was like doing a, a doing like a character. But if somebody like, if you have a break, it's like, I remember when Tiffany Haddish, right? She had Girls Trip and it like immediately, it was like for the world, maybe like a life changer for her. But it's like for her, she had been doing this, you know, for I don't know, 15 years before that. Um, I do think that when it's gradual, I feel like it's like it's like walking up steps, right? It's like if you just, if you take every step, then it's like eventually you get to the top and you're like, yeah, that wasn't, I appreciated every step and nothing really, I didn't get tripped up over anything, you know? But if you are like at the bottom trying to figure it out and then you just look up at the mountain, right? You're like, oh my God, I don't even know how I'm going to get there. But then if you just blink your eyes and you're on top of the mountain and you got to look down and you're like, oh, shit, how did I get here? Right. You know what I'm like, exactly. Yeah. So I can imagine it can be like a, a, a mind fuck. And then at some point you have to be like, wait a minute. Yeah. And I will say, too, like, I don't even know how much of this I should be sharing sometimes. Sometimes I think about, like, the industry and, like, how people present themselves as winning constantly and that vibe of I'm winning I'm getting everything like that actually attracts more people to your orbit I mean that's everybody just saw me in 2020 as this rocket ship and they wanted to get on this rocket ship and I didn't even know that I could create a rocket ship I was doing something that I didn't even know how I you know I did it sort of and so now, when you say, when I say things like, well, I wasn't really sure who I was and all this stuff, I'm like, should I even be saying that? Should I keep that to myself? You know, no, because I, I think it's, it's very charming. It's what makes you likable and it's what is I know, but what's going to get me book? money? I need money. <laughs> <laughs> I need, you know. <laughs> well, Sarah, I'm saying this to you that one of, like, I wasn't sure. I was like, is she going to be the same person that I knew when I saw her at Stand Up New York and she was this excited, bubbly young lady who was just excited about comedy. And I saw that when you were at the Comedy Cellar. I see it now. I I don't, like, I always wonder how people change. And one of the things that comes across from you that I see even in articles and in your pictures 
I do see like confidence and I, I do see like you are authentically going through this process and we're interested in it because this is what's happening right now. The start, the sudden fame or start like Matt Reif, for example, yeah. is another, you know, like we're all curious of how human you can be in those moments and you're allowing that to happen. I think that's valuable. I think people need to hear it. Oh, thank you. I have a big mouth, so I can't help but share sometimes. I, it's what makes you a comedian, too. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, I want to talk about it. I want to share everything. And then my voice is like, don't don't say that. Tell everybody that you're killing it all the time. You know, I'm often let down by when I find out celebrities have lied to me about their steps, you know, like cheated on something. And I go when they say they uh they don't have any face work and then you find out all this face work that they've done or it, it's just like, like you said, this like this Hollywood is untouchable lifestyle that we don't know about. Oh. So I think it's refreshing that you're doing it this way. What I would ask is what would you say to someone who's listening, who is going on this path? Like what advice would you give? I would say, get to know yourself really well. Like what is the ideal thing that you would want to make? I think that's the question that I wish I'd sort of like, what is the ideal thing that I would want to make um, is the question that I, I didn't really ask myself. I feel like I was just, um, give me, give me, give me any opportunity and I'll take it. You know, I think I was in that world. So, so when it does happen, if it does happen, you're like, this is what I want to do. And I've wanted to do it for five years. And I know that that's what I want to do. I think for, I, you know, for 10 years, I was just trying to get a late night set. And I was, I was in open mics and I was trying to make 20 year old straight white dudes laugh. You know what I mean? That's what I was doing for so long. And, um, I, it, it was, it, I made, I made a lot of 20 year old straight white dudes laugh. Um, but I wasn't really getting to know what made me laugh, what made me, what made me giggle out loud. So that's what I would focus on. Get to know yourself as much as you want, as you can as you desire to. And if I could answer that question, I know you didn't ask me, but just listening to you, Sarah, I would also say like, forgive yourself. Like you cannot determine we, there's like all the work that we can do to try to achieve what we want. But then there's a part of it that's out of our control, right? Like when you start, when you wrote an article or uploaded a video, you don't know. You, I'm, everyone's hope is that something is going to go viral or something is going to be a success. And I'm sure that it's a much better feeling when you don't know it's going to be a success and it's massive versus when you're like, this is it. This is it. I want so much. My expectations are so high. Look at this wonderful thing I put out. And then nobody likes it. And nobody sees it. You know what I'm saying? Now you're just somewhere ranting like Kanye West, you know? <laughs> but it's just like so so if that does happen to you and you end up walking through a door that you are maybe not prepared for and you're saying yes to everything or you're not showing up in the way that people expect you to whatever it's just like forgive yourself mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying because the journey like you're talking about is like a continuous journey yeah like knowing yourself there's going to be things right now you're like oh i feel so much better then, you know, 2020, when I was saying yes to everything, I'm sure the 2027 Sarah Cooper is going to look back at the 2023 like, yo, it's funny. I thought I knew myself. You know? <laughs> right. Like, well, yeah. Just- and then sometimes I look back at um, 
sets that I did and I couldn't even watch them because I thought they were so bad. And I will look at them now and be like, I was good. Yeah. Have you had that? I, yes. I think women do that to ourselves a lot. We overthink. We're like, oh, I can't. That's the thing. Like, I remember being, um, watching this, this dude get on stage. He recorded himself. And then as soon as he got off stage, he listened to it and he was taking notes. And it would take me weeks to listen or watch my sets because I was so terrified to watch myself and terrified to listen to myself. And I wish I had recorded every single set. I wish I had just been practicing. Like, I wish I had video, video, because I want to be on TV. So like, I should have been videoing it. I should have been watching myself. There's so many little things that you have to work on if you want to be on TV. Um, And so, and and we are so self-critical and we need to, like, I kind of want to get to a place where I look at myself as a character that I'm just like watching and it's not me, you know, and it's, I can just kind of look at Sarah Cooper and be like, okay, let's, let's figure this out instead of it. Right now, it's still kind of personal to me. Oh, I absolutely understand that feeling. You know what I do now is I record my set every single time I perform with my phone. And it's habit now. So I don't even think about it. Like I used to hesitate at actually recording my set because I was like, I don't want Right, me too. You know, I don't want to hear this one later. But now because I, out of habit, I record myself... I, if I don't record myself, I'm like, oh my God, I didn't, where's the, I didn't record it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's actually helped me in situations like a recent situation where a comedy club wanted to sit me down about a, someone in the audience, but they didn't have the set, but I had it recorded mm-hmm. because I record every <laughs> single show. You know me, Zaynab. You, you write a letter about me. I'm going to come after you. Okay. So I have all the data and the tracking. But it's, it is a hard thing to do to, like, I guess in these moments of, I, what do you, you call it, what's the, the term they're using? Uh, the imposter syndrome, right? Of, like, being in rooms, like, a uh, writing room and not knowing if you're the one that should even speak up. I, I, I remember being in an HBO writer's room situation for divorce on uh, HBO. Mm-hmm. All the writers had like years of experience and I was like, kind of like you, Sarah. Like I I vocalize my discomfort uh, oftentimes too much where I even say, I was like, I don't even know what, like I said to some of the writers, I was like, I don't have as much experience as you do. You know, and they're looking at me like, should you be saying this? Right. But that's just, who, that's who I am. You know, in moments I have to like express, you know, like I would say maybe going back, I wouldn't have expressed it to the actual writers that I'm competing with in the room. But, you know, a lot of times that's just for me, it was very helpful in mm-hmm. expressing it. Cause once I have it out there, then I can like, I feel like, okay, I've acknowledged it. Now I can move on. And learn from this experience, even if these writers have much more than I have, you know, I'm going to contribute something that they don't have. So, yeah, here it is. You're here. And like you said, men, they show up a lot of times for the most part. Right. They show up. They get on stage very confident. A lot of times don't have even the experience that you or uh, the women on here have. And it's amazing to me. I watch them and I'm like, wow, look at that. And he had nothing. Yeah. I, I just feel like we need to do that more, you know? 
Yeah. But I wonder also, like, who was in your corner? Like, Friends friends Like Us podcast, something that's been popping up a lot lately in every conversation we've had on this show is, like, who's there in your corner? Like, who? what friends had your back and helped you during that time when everything was kind of coming on you? Did you have anyone? Yeah, I mean, I had um, my best friend, Katie, who was so... She introduced me to my therapist to help me realize I needed a divorce. I had... I mean, my, my husband actually was there for me in a lot of ways, too. Um... But when you're a people pleaser, you 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 actually have trouble making friends that are real friends because you're not showing your real self to people. So you can't make real friends unless you show your real self. And I, I didn't even know my real self. So like, um, I've changed and I've grown and I've sort of, you know, like I asked for a divorce and I, I have made a space for people to come into my life by being the person that I want to be. And if you're the person you want to be, you will attract the people who are, you know, that are supposed to be there. And I feel like I, I was, I feel like I'm 10 years behind. I feel like inside my head, I'm 10 years younger than I actually am. And I would like to have my driver's license updated to reflect that. (laughs) Um, Because I, I just, like, even friendships, like, I didn't really have girlfriends. I didn't really, I just wanted a a husband. Get a husband, get a husband, get a husband. That's all I was thinking about. I had my sisters and my mom. They really supported me. But I, making friends is an art that I had not even figured out yet. Now, Erica, you're hearing all of this. You're shaking your head. What are you, uh, how is that making you feel? Not to sound like a therapist, but how does it make you feel? (laughs) I have felt all of this all at once sometimes. This has been uh, pretty much an outline of my experience over the past six years. Um, Being over in a foreign country, first off, and doing comedy. Why were you there? Yeah. Yeah, great question. Uh, just like you, I was also uh, getting a divorce and deciding to press the reset button on life in a way. Um, I lucked out and my college sweetheart invited me over and uh, that only lasted for five months until a whole year and a half later he came out. But anyway, uh, that's going to come out in the comedy uh, this year. As a part of the authenticity, as a part of getting me on stage, because that first half an hour was, hey, I'm Erica. I'm not from China. Here's this cool stuff about China. Here's this cool stuff about being black. Awesome. Now, (laughs) right. And now here I am at home, finally digging back in. Sarah, you said you felt like you were 10 years behind. I felt like my marriage put me at least five years behind because here I was all of a sudden just having to be a housewife. Mm-hmm. With a stay-at-home job, I could work from home, manage two dogs, no kids. We tried. Uh, and just, I was also an army wife. And that was difficult on its own. He just slowly lost himself more and more to alcoholism and had some really bad PTSD when coming back over. Bad nerve damage in his leg and his back. And just never was the same man that he was before. Um so I had to leave. I don't say that to be mean. I say that because I was not going to die in our house with him. 
I was not going to succumb to alcoholism myself, having a family history of that. Um, and then so I just said, what would I do if there was no safety net under me? What would I do if there was no way I could fail? What would I do? I said, I'd write. I've been writing stuff since I was eight years old. I, I, it didn't dawn on me to do comedy, even though I've been a huge fan of comedy my whole life. You know, like growing up in the 80s, Whoopi was all over the place. I didn't see too many other dark-skinned sisters on TV. I told my mom to give me everything Whoopi. We got, I had her written every Whoopi video, every, uh, her one-woman show, comic relief, all of her movies, everything. But my dad, I grew up a little bit stricter than some of my classmates. So they come in class, third, fourth grade, talking about Oh, we were watching Red Fox last night. Oh, we were watching Richard Pryor last night. We was listening to, oh, okay. I don't know anything about this. But when my dad brought home Robin Harris's Baby's Kids tape, I said, okay, I like this comedy thing. And I could hear beat for beat. He played that tape so much. I played it so much. I could hear beat for beat memorized. I said, this thing is kind of cool. So I just kind of became a comedy sponge. Dabbled with it in high school and college and never really picked it back up until I said, what would I do if I could not mess up? I go ahead and pursue this thing. So um, when I got home, you know, I was in the middle of the pandemic. I had some headliners and stuff and, and, and cities in China with Simeon Goodson. They got canceled. And I said, dang, nabbit. <laughs> this was supposed to be my year. 2020 was wrong with you. <laughs> But I came back home and just started <laughs> absorbing the the virtual stuff, hearing all these comments nationwide saying, I am not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Like, no, I'm doing it. I'm loving it. First thing I got on was Flapper Super Bowl, one net. And then that just opened up a whole bunch of stuff for me from there. So I'm just grateful. And I've gone through so many of these different cycles that you ladies mentioned, especially the imposter syndrome where I'm still facing that. A 41-year-old woman. I'm going up there with a little extra cough, you know, a little extra. And then live this stuff. But then still like, wait, don't get knocked off your square. This shit will still rock you to your core. Hold on now. You know you're supposed to be here. You know mm-hmm. the material you get, you know. So this is just all just beautiful to hear. Thank you for sharing. Marina, I don't know if you got if you got this in 2020, but it because I imagine because you're like, you know, like a vet. I imagine a lot of younger com- comics that are new or interested reach out to you and like ask for advice and stuff like that, right? In 2020, there were like a good amount of pe- people that interested in pursuing comedy that were like, hey, I really want to do this. This is my dream. Do you have any plans? And I did not know what to tell them in 2020 because like, like it had all like changed more than ever. Like we knew in 2020 that I mean, we knew before 2020, like, yeah, that there was this new like surgence of like internet comedians and you know what I'm saying? Like we knew that, but in 2020, it's like the world shut down. Like, I don't know what to, t- I don't know how to tell you. I would normally tell a comedian, like get on stage, get on stage as much as possible, you know, treat it like the gym and you're trying to get a new body, like go, 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 go. But then in 2020, I was like, are you sure? Mm. What were you doing? Yeah, it was the first time I realized. Well, for one, I want to say, Erica, listening to you is is 
gives me hope in a sense also because you are only talking about the craft. You didn't mention social media not once in that. Um, and for me as a comic who came up where that was the only focus, uh, when I hear a young comic talk like that, I'm like, okay, yes. They love the comedy craft. They want to do this because they love comedy. They really love it. So like everything you just took us through, like it sat me back for a second and I was just like, okay, thank God. Because even, even though you say you're in your 40s, you're still a young comedian in, in comedy years, six years. And 40 I, and is I, the new 20. <laughs> really? And, um, and you know, I'm 52. So My God, I, really? Yes, girl. And so I, when I hear young comics talk like this, it really feeds my soul because I love comedy. And Sarah, when I hear you talking about like the finding it, what is it that you want to do every day? When you said that, it reminded me of why I do comedy, actually, because I think that we go through so many changes through this that we we start to get distracted by what can go viral and by what can bring us immediate fame and money and materialism. And that's where I'm at my least happy. Um, when I'm at my most happy is what you said about, uh, Erica, about being grateful. And those moments of gratefulness is like a moment of Zen, really in this industry. And so I would say in 2020, when, and I still have comics come at me like, how do I do this? And I say, you work at it. And that doesn't ever seem to fulfill them, but it's the only answer that I can give because that is the only thing you can do in society at anything you want to be really good at is you have to work at it. Now, how you work at it is you develop your own style, your own craft. You record your set. You go out every night. I mean, there wasn't a night. I'm sure, Sarah, you were going to those open mic, those awful open mic scenes. I would hear comics say, she was at the open mic just yesterday and now she's a star, you know? But you were hitting that pavement. You were doing that work, you know? So that doesn't... Has that changed for you, Sarah? Do you still do like a... Because, I mean, you've gone through, you know, writing a writing pilots, the book, we're going to get into Foolish and why that motivated you but um, to write that book. But has any of your sort of beginning stages of working through the open mic and writing jokes, has that changed? Um, yeah, it's changed. I just, I can't, I, I, I feel bad saying this, but I can't go to open mics anymore. I can't do it. You so can't, what, like, recognize I you, just, or what do you I mean, like, it's just... The, like, no, no, no. I, I actually assholes. just... Um, <laughs> Joking. I... I like, I like to... I like to perform for I like to perform for paying audiences because I feel like those are the audiences that will actually be the most honest and, like, I don't know. I feel like... So I will I will just go up and do a set at Eastville. Um, you know, I'll, I'll go up and do a set wherever, but I don't do open mics anymore. And I also... I'm starting to just make more friends with, you know, female comedians, black female comedians, like, and like, you know, Chanel Ali, um, she was in conversation with her last week in Philly. And, um, I just talked to her for like a few hours and I feel like, my God, if I'd had her in my life, you know, 
when I was just starting out, it would have been such a different story than me trying to impress these fucking white dudes. Like, honestly, it really like, because she, you know, our, I don't know, my brain, the way my, the, what, I, what I think is funny, where I think I, a joke can go, like, I don't know, there's, there's, there's something there with, with women that I think is just, is, it just feeds me, it makes me feel more expansive than with, with the open mic scene where we were all just sort of, we were being supportive, but we were being real competitive and, and kind of passive aggressive with each other. And the ladies mic was great, but then everything else was kind of not that great. So yeah, it's changed a bit. And it's also like, I kind of want to like get on the phone with, you know, a female comedian and just rap about something where I just want to like, you know, and what you're saying, Marina, about like, Oh, I could just keep doing the Trump videos. I could, you know what I mean? That lots of people keep asking me for to do that, but I don't want to doing something just to try to go viral is the most sickening, awful, disgusting feeling. Like I don't want to do that. I want to I want to do things that make me happy and that make me giggle. Like like you you want to feel grateful. I want to feel grateful, but I love giggling and if I'm giggling when I'm making something, I that's the best. I, I realize now that when I write a joke and I think, oh, this is good, it's terrible. But if I write a joke and I'm giggling when I'm writing it, like, that's good. <laughs> so, like, I'm, I'm going after the feelings now. I'm like, make myself giggle. That's what I want. Now, when you wrote Foolish, is that what was the motivation behind it? Yeah. I mean, I wanted to just write something that was kind of goofy and fun. And, you know, a lot of it's the stand-up, like, bits and pieces are stand-up comedy that I wrote over the past 10 years that kind of exploded into to longer stories. Um, and it, it, it tells the story like of 2020 and everything that happened after. And then also my childhood growing up as a Jamaican immigrant. And, you know, my mom is obsessed with home goods decor and giving me advice from them. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's, I mean, I really, that's, that was really the point of it. I mean, I, I've read I've read like Viola Davis's memoir, which is like very serious and it's very like dramatic. And I thought about I could I could do that. There's some drama in my life that I could write about, but I just wanted to write something that was fun. Well, I was reading the first few pages. It was fun. It just like in the like the sort of like promotional material for your book, because it's like kind of um, uh, what is the word? It's active. Like you can get involved in it. Like it's fun. And it sounds like your it's your your way of getting people involved in reading your book. Like, hey, who are you? Like, write this. What's your uh, bank <laughs> code number? I thought it was really a fun way of introing into a book. It's just like very, like, this is Sarah, you know? This is definitely going to be her book. I would ask you, Zainab, too, like, about your special that is October 24th. 24th. Thank you. October 24th on Amazon Prime, everybody. <laughs> what inspired you, Zainab? Was there a theme for the special or, or what was the inspiration behind the special that's coming out? Um, yeah, the, the, I really wanted to um, lay a foundation, a very clear foundation for the public of like who I am and where I come from. Um, and I figured if I lay a very clear foundation in anything that I put out after that, it will be like, oh, it, oh, I, I understand this because I know, her. you know what I'm saying? Like, it's all built on like a sturdy foundation. So, um, yeah, that was, that was kind of like I had, 
I had a couple of like jokes that I really loved or bits that I really loved that I wanted at the time that I was having so much fun doing. And as I started working on the special, I realized that they didn't really fit in the story. And I had to just like let them go like, ooh, this would be a great closer. Cause that's like, I know it'll close on such a huge laugh, but I'm like, oh, but this isn't really, it's not really important. You know, to the, to the story. Yeah. Yeah. At this moment in this piece, it's not really important. And I do want to, I, I, I kind of, this is going to sound dramatic, but I try to go at it. Like, um, if this is the only piece of work that they ever get from me, what do I want to leave people with? Yeah. Um, no, that's a good question. Yeah. And, and that's how I attacked it. It's very personal. Oh, it's very, very, very personal. Um, I think after someone watches it, I think they'll. I think a lot of people will be will feel seen, um, and and maybe inspired. Um, but I think also, and I think also comics will like it because I tell a very specific comedy related story towards the end that I that I think the world. The, the internet has exposed the world to comedy in a way that no superstar special ever did, you know? Um, and because of that, it makes you realize that a lot of people don't really get stand-up comedy. Yes. They think that they do, but they, but they don't, you know, I was on stage uh, this past weekend at the city winery and Sydney Washington, a very funny comedian, friends of the show, uh, was opening for me and we got on stage at the end of my set and was just talking. She was telling the audience about how we first met and I was on my way to do a set at the cellar and she was outside on McDougal barking. And the audience thought she literally meant like, oh, oh, like barking like a dog. <laughs> All right. And I had to explain to them like what barking actually meant. And you can just see like a uh, just like just like three seconds of like a new understanding and sort of empathy that the audience had for for us, you know. I tried like, to write barking not, in my book, and they were like, "What is this?" And I had to like write it yeah. out to what it was. So yeah, yeah, you have to explain it, and then you have to explain the stakes because you know I'm like I'm like she's out there barking. I was like, and you could bark all night, but that is the you being able to perform is dependent on how many people you have brought inside. I just felt like I wanted to um, share a part of myself where if at, I think if people watch this, you could you could look at a lot of different scenarios and I don't even have to speak up and you can be like, I think I know how Zainab Johnson would respond to this. <laughs> Given this hour and seven minutes that I watched, I think I know what she'll do in this situation. <laughs> or like, let's say something comes out. I think people after watching this will be like, that don't sound like her. Or, you know, I mean, I, I even do it in my own life. Like somebody will be like, remember you said, and I'm like, I can't remember, but that does sound like me. You know, like, I think people will be able to do that um, with this special. And ultimately, of course, I wanted it to be funny. I can't stand the comedy special that ain't funny. Can I stand it? <laughs> um, <laughs> I wanted it to be reflective of exactly who I am. I think that I'm funny. I think that I have a very um, engaging and unique style of storytelling. I'm, you know, intelligent. I'm, I just wanted it to be reflective of 
all of that. You know, like I bring levity to things that maybe some people don't think can be funny. And I, and I, and I find ways as do most good comedians to, you know, find humor in things that are, I don't know, difficult to um, go through as human beings or like difficult to kind of like just grasp and understand, like, you know, mentally. So, yeah. It's a very well thought process that you took into going into that special, which is, I'm glad you shared that because a lot of people think we just get up there and just tell jokes. And some people do, but a lot of us put some, some thought into that. And, and Zainab, as you were going through that, it just reminds me of, of why you're so good too, is because you do think about these things. Like you really in life, like I watch you as you move and what I was going to ask you is what friends have helped you along the way? Like, you know, and we know uh, one of them. <laughs> okay. oh, Zainab. Zainab. Um, I, I do want to say, too, just to speak on, you know, like, you know, Sarah, you said, like, being, like, honest and stuff. Throughout almost the entire process, like, the moment I knew, like, oh, I'm going to take this. Like for months of me running it, I did not have a closer. And I knew I didn't. I knew I didn't. And people would come to the show. Like we had all the buyers coming to the shows and people would be like, oh my God, it's so good. And people, you know, you get the, you get your fans and they're telling you and whatever. And I would just keep saying, I I kept telling my agent and my manager, I'm like, but I don't have a closer. And they're like, what? That, what you closed on was so funny. I'm like, but that's not the end. That is not, you don't close the book and go, ah, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you don't do that. I was like, I don't have it. And I was like, and I'm trying to find it. And I was like, every night I got on stage, like, please reveal the closer to me. And I re- I'll never forget when it was revealed. I'll never, it was in Philly. I'll, I'm forever grateful to that Philly audience. Cause it was revealed. And I said, Oh, I couldn't wait to get off stage. I, I am a person who now, since I started, um, I record every set. And I got that from the comedian Ian Edwards before I ever did comedy. I remember I called Ian when I was just a little old, you know, fresh out of college, baby, just his friend trying to get some free food. Cause I was hungry. Um, and he was like, let me call you right back. I just got off stage and I'm listening to my set. And I was like, what? Okay. Well, I'm hungry. Call me back. But don't forget. And then when I started doing comedy, that was one of the first things that I remember. Oh, make sure you record. Oh, you know, like, and I so I have years of five minute sets, twenty minute sets, hour and thirty minute sets. You know what I'm saying? Like years of it, just in the in the cloud. Um, but sorry, Marina, to answer your question, the people who helped me. Uh, oh, sorry. Okay, sorry, 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 sorry. To finish that sentence, I could not wait to get off stage at Philly. To like, oh my God, just to just to say it to myself, like oh, I got the closer, and then to listen to it and then try it again because it felt good in that moment. But I'm like, now I got to see if it actually works, as right. a, you know, whatever. Um, but the the friends who have helped me, of course, of course, Keith, Marina. I mean, I feel like you've helped me. Like I feel like you were one of the people who, you know, I saw doing it before I ever even thought that I could before I, it ever. You know, I never thought I would ever be a comedian. Even being around comedians and watching you guys, I loved it. Yeah, you were always around. Yeah, I loved you guys, but I just never thought that I ever would do that. 
Um, so, so, you know, I think that there's been people like you who have inspired me, but like definitely someone like Keith, Keith has been like a huge advocate. You know, Keith picks up the phone, not just for you, like when you need to vent, but like you need to get something done. If Keith has a contact that can make it happen, he's going to make it happen. I remember early in my career, I went to do a show. They asked, asked me to do a show in Queens. And it was $600. And I had never made $600 doing stand-up. And so I go to Queens and it's terrible. It's like a show for show time. It's like the host is Rip Michaels. Oh, yeah. No offense to Rip Michaels, but I mean the experience, the, the production was terrible. They like some, I think there was like a shootout or something like that. They told me to be there at like six or seven o'clock, but I didn't go on stage until like one o'clock in the morning. Like it was terrible. I ended up killing. I ended up killing because I realized I'm really good when oh, I, I thought you ended up killing people because it was no, so late. <laughs> no, I ended up roasting everybody. I ended up killing because I just don't, when I have no filter, like when I don't care, sometimes it really, a lot of times it serves me. But I called Keith the next day and I was like, yeah, I was in Queens. They started shooting at this place. He was like, why was you in Queens? I was like, to do stand-up. He was like, never go to Queens for stand-up. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what? They was paying $600. He said, Zainab, I did all of that bullshit so you young comics don't have to do it. Call me before you. you know." And that's like, people say that all the time. Like, they try to give game to people, like, younger. But, like, I feel like Keith is one of those people who he really, um, he really expects you to benefit and tries to make sure you benefit from all of the struggle that he went through, that you went through. I know that I benefit, Marina. I I, I feel like I was one of the first women of color at, a long time after you. Like I saw you and then I didn't see nobody else pass at the cellar. Yeah. And then I got passed. Esty saw me open for Keith. Yes. And Keith was like, can she audition? And Esty said, I already saw her. She's passed. Yes. And then it was nobody else. And then and then I remember Janelle James auditioning. And then I remember Ida Rodriguez. Get, and it, you know what I'm saying? But there was nobody. I just saw the Amy Schumers and, and then I saw Marina Franklin. That's it. Yes. I was you very know? lonely. So I'm, huh? <laughs> I was very lonely. <laughs> yeah. And so, but I'm sure that you being there is what helped us be there. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, so, yeah. Yeah. But, but my peers helped me, you know, like. I feel like my peers helped me, you know, like Sydney Washington, she's a comedian that's like coming up, but she's also somebody who is so supportive. Like I, I feel like I can give her every great, any good news I get, any win. I feel like I could ask her like graciously and respectfully ask her to like come feature for me. And she'll take notes. She'll be like, oh, you didn't say this. You didn't, do you not, do you get what I'm saying? Yes. Like she genuinely cares. And I think that, I think that I have like, I've made a community of like a family community in comics and it's really helped me. And I'm, I'm typically not that type of person, Marina, you know, I keep everybody at arm's length. Mm -hmm. Like I got the people that I like. And if I don't, you know, I, I don't be pressed for friends. Um, but I do feel like, I do feel like that I have been fortunate enough to pick up like some really wonderful comedian friends along my journey. 
It's so important. I emphasize this mostly because, Sarah, when I watch you, I often wondered who's her support system in this in Hollywood, because I think as black women going through this scene in, in life, in anything, even in dating, right? Because uh, Joyelle, who I had on the podcast, helped me go on one of my first dates I haven't been on in seven years. And I remember the dating coach saying, like, where's our friends? Like, help each other out. And I think that's true in all aspects of life, right? Yeah. And I think especially in in Hollywood, which can be a very, it can be a toxic place. No. It can be a no. scary place. <laughs> <laughs> it can be a scary place for those of us who who weren't born in ho into Hollywood royalty or whatever. And I think a lot of us as black women, we're experiencing this now. It's like on a mass level, there's a lot of, of us doing Absolutely. this really well. We need to have that support system for each other. Back each other up. Our friends like us. Now, <laughs> I want to say like... Um, before I get into these hot topics, I think what's obviously I want to ask you about your relationship, oh, your divorce you. material, Sarah, is very funny. I also noticed <laughs> that Katie Holmes commented on it being so good. That must be a lot of pressure, too, to like have material and have celebrity. I mean, I think that's cool. Like Katie Holmes was like so good, like on your page. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. How is it like putting material out there about your divorce right now? Do you have to like sign a, a thing? Is he cool? I I think he's fine. I sent him the manuscript and I didn't hear back. Um, I don't know if he like listen. I don't know if he's listening to this. If you are, please stop. Don't, don't listen. Go live your life. Um, yeah, I... The thing is, I was just looking at... Um, Back to the, I was watching an old, a very old set. I did it at an open mic, a like Laughing Buddha open mic, which shout out Laughing Buddha because I did so many of those mics and I worked for so many chips. Um, and I did develop a lot of material there. I felt like I kind of crapped on open mics, but open mics are great. I just did them for so long. Um, and I feel like anybody who saw my material could have seen this divorce coming from a mile away. Mm. I was doing a joke about how my husband had started some medication that made it hard for him to for, hard for us to have sex and how excited I was about it because now I didn't have to have sex with my husband. Like I, that was the mm -hmm. joke. And um, he was talking about maybe getting Viagra and I was like, why would you get Viagra just to jerk off? Because I'm not taking care. Those are your boners, my friend. I'm not taking care of them. And um, I so much of my material was a cry for help. And so much of my material was everything that was like, oh, isn't this funny? But it was like, no, this is, there's something going on here. Um, so I feel like now it's, anybody who's seen my materials has just been like, yeah. Oh yeah, it's a continuation of what we saw. Yeah, we, we already saw this coming. So yeah, a lot of it's about my mom too, you know, and just like the way that she supported me and my family, like my brother's in the military and I call him and I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking about getting a divorce. And he's, he's got his fatigues on because he was just on a military zoom and they have to wear their fatigues on a zoom oh, wow. call, which is ridiculous. I'm in pajamas right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think it was just like the top part of the fatigues. Yeah, I don't think it was the whole thing. And he's like, well, Sarah, you know, it takes two to tango. You know, uh, you both got to give 110%. You know, you got to put them on a performance improvement plan. I'm like, okay, this is like military lingo as, as divorce advice. Um, but it's just so funny how people react to it because I, you know, I asked my nephews and they were like, cool. I was like, Uncle Jeff and I aren't, aren't going to work out. And my nephew was like, all right. Like they don't care. <laughs> they don't care. This generation is so good with that. Yeah. Oh my God, I they love them. They don't mind. So yeah, it's been fun. Now I do wonder. Divorce is like, fun. For, Everybody should try it. Erica, was it fun for you? And then I wonder like, you know, we're all female comedians going out there doing what is, cons- we're, we're making our own money. Was it threatening? I'm going to ask you, Erica, was like at any point, oh, he was, he came after. Well, the divorce came before you did stand up, right? Yeah. I mean, it can be like, because I was mentioning there's a movie on Netflix right now. I cannot remember the name of it, but it's about a woman who's working in the office with her boyfriend. She gets promoted. He does not. And it dissolves from there. So this is all to all of you, but I'll start with you, Erica. Has it been difficult to date since you're on stage? You have a voice. You're making your own money. Is it difficult? I feel like I'm asking that question, but it's it's a horrible question, but I got to ask it. It's difficult when they feel like if they fail, they'll become a punchline. I was just saying, when I was on the market, it was rough trying to find somebody who wouldn't be turned off that I was a comedian. However, I got a response one time from a guy who said, I just saw you on stage. Your profile is so bad. I would have gotten with you after just seeing your set. And I was like, okay, then damn. I, can I do anything? So it's just, I've been fortunate. That's all I can say. <laughs> and Sarah? Yeah. I mean, what Zainab was saying about how like having a friend who like is excited for you. Because a lot of times people talk about fair weather friends. They talk about friends who are only there when things are going well. But I felt like I had a lot of friends who only were there or only could be there when things were going badly. Like they, they, were, they, were, they were good when, when I was sort of in a crisis and needed help. But when I was like on top of the world, that's when things were, they, they weren't as there for me. Um, and you really, really need both. You really need people to be there when things are good and when things aren't as good. And I think... With my ex-husband, he um, things just changed. She just wasn't my priority anymore. Like I just, I for it, he was my whole life, and then all of a sudden in 2020, he couldn't be my whole life anymore. I was like on the phone all the time. I was, I, I had, I had shit to do, you know. And I think it really solidified to me too how I love my work, and I love making work and what I'm passionate about, sort of the center of my life. And I feel like for for men, men have no trouble saying that and no trouble living that life. But for women to say, no, I love my work and my work is my life. It's hard for us to say that. It's hard for people to accept that about us. Um, but I've, uh, it's been such an opening, eye-opening experience to be like, you know what? I've, I don't know. I just want to do comedy and that's it, you know? 
I, I'm not even on any dating sites. I'm not dating. I'm not doing any of Wonderful. that. I'm, you know, if I meet a man, I want it to be through the process of creating work. That's, that's how I would like to meet somebody. Yeah. And also you said you wanted to know who you are, right? It's kind of hard to do yeah. that in a relationship because that kind of like, if you're not sure of who you are, right? You could like Absolutely. when you with someone else, it's like they're yeah, sort of defining your, your you. Your whole life revolves around making them happy and keeping the relationship going and making sure this marriage works and you kind of disappear. And that's why I love journaling. I realized this because when I was journaling, that was the only time when I felt like I was really myself. Nice. Now, Zainab, you relationship-wise, now, uh, that, how's it going? <laughs> I like dating. I really, I mean, I don't like guys really often. Like, I don't like a lot of guys all the time. Um, I have been hanging out with this one comedian recently, um, and he keeps calling them dates, and I keep saying they're not. And I am really, in, I really enjoy myself with him. And I don't feel, because I do think that it can feel very competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, it can feel very competitive between comedians, you know? And, and I think just naturally the way, the miseducation um, in, of gender roles in the world, like, you know, in, in society, it's like men really think that it is their job to be funny. Men really think that they are innately funnier than women. Um, and so. I think that it's it's very often it when I'm dating a guy, um, if he finds out I'm a comedian or comes in on I'm a comedian, he'll either try and get funny, or you know what I'm saying. Like he, he his mission is to like make me laugh or to like do jokes, and it's like just just account. You're an accountant. Just crunch those goddamn numbers. You know what I'm saying? Like just you know what I'm saying. Just show up, be impeccable with your word brush your teeth and then just do what you do. You get what I'm saying? Like that's mm-hmm. all I ask. But this particular guy, I do find that I uh, enjoy like his company. Um, and we sometimes have comedy conversations. I've even like helped him like work through a joke and not that he's just in a conversation, you know, and I don't at all. Maybe it's cause I keep adamantly saying these are not dates. I don't at all feel like there's any competition. Okay. I don't know if that would change if it escalated to like a real romantic situation. If if it's left up to me, that's not going to happen. Um, because I just I don't know the male comedian. Well, my my ex loved being in the material. He loved it. You know. Um. Uh. But I do think, as um, as Erica said, and sorry, forgive me, Sarah. You may have said it. Well, you did say it. Um. I think a big fear for people, not just romantic partners, but especially romantic partners, is that you're going to end up in the material. I think that's a big... Oh, yeah. A guy I dated, he loved it, too. I remember I, I, remember I got on... I got on he was at a show. You're so vain. On stage, and right when, I, right when I started talking about him, another comedian leaned over to him and was like, I'm sorry, bro. I'm sorry, bro. This is... <laughs> And he was like, oh, no, like, I love when she talks about me, you know. Um, But I think that people I mean, I think there's even a study to be done about that person. Right. Yeah. You know, it's almost like it's almost like that song, like you're so 
you're such a narcissist. You think this song is about you. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're so vain. There you go. Like, there's times where I'm telling a joke and people think like, oh, that's about me. And it's like, Mm. if you want it to, you know. Um, But yeah, I do think that it's it's definitely like a fear of a lot of people to end up in being Mm. the butt. That, that, that. that uh, comedians aside, that that that's sometimes people's biggest fear in life. I know to be to be to have a room full of people laughing at them, and not because they told the joke. You know. Yeah. So now we now I will say every guy I've ever dated, you will be in my set. It's nothing protecting you. Um, <laughs> now this, I want to get to one or two of these hot topics. One of the things that I noticed this moment with Issa Rae, I thought about you immediately, Zainab, with the correction of names. Yeah. Issa Rae took the stage at the Culture Con for a 25 minute chat about the work she's been doing to champion and mentor creatives of color. And when an interviewer, Glenda McNeil, accidentally called the insecure creator, Issa Rae instead of Issa Rae. She was immediately interrupted by a disapproving audience. And so did you see this, Zainab? And what did you think? I think that it's great. I think that, I mean, I don't think that it's great that it happened. It's a very small thing, but it's a very big thing, right? Because Issa Rae is a big deal. You know what I'm saying? Issa Rae is is a name that that everybody knows. Oh, white people, black people, she's everywhere. She's doing everything. Um, but also, if you're just going to sit down and interview somebody, I don't care how much you know them or don't know them, find out the phonetic pronunciation of their name. But what's so beautiful about it is Issa ain't have to say shit. Her audience was like, hold up, hold up. You know what I'm saying? And I think that that's always wonderful when you have such a strong support system that you could sit back and they just going to protect you. You know, they're going to protect you. And I think that that's what happened. You at culture con. I don't know why you at culture con and you don't know how to pronounce Issa Rae's name. And she's black herself. She says, I'm a part of the community, which was. (laughs) (laughs) And she's black herself. She says, I'm a part of the community. She's so white. She made me feel, she made me feel like I could twerk. Like she was yeah. so white. She was the whitest person. I, I, I couldn't believe when she said, I'm, I'm part of the community. She sounded like Katie Couric. She didn't even right. sound, who even says I'm part of the community like that? One woman yeah, that is not part of the community. Someone who is completely out of touch. But you know what? She learned, she learned today. Now I but, will say part of it was, I was empathetic because you know, I mess up. When I read on here all the time, all my listeners know I'll be on the show and I'll go, how do I say your name? But it's a podcast, so I can casually do that. If I was in, if I was at a culture con, I would have checked the phonetic spelling. But I have I have pronouncing name anxiety. Me too. So I'm not going to say I'm perfect at it either. Thank God it's not someone who has a bunch of people following them that I've messed up on names before. Thank God. That that is the dream though to like have an interviewer say something that's like not quite right about you and have a crowd of people just say you're wrong, this is the truth. You don't have to say anything. I mean, that is the dream to have people like that. Yeah. Erica, yeah. 
That's why I love us because in a room where I do a joke about my wig falling off, I can have a group of sisters saying, uh-uh, I guess the wig, little bitch. But, like, we will correct each other. We keep each other telling the truth. So, the fact that Issa had the voices rally around, say, uh-uh, put some respect on it and say it right, was beautiful. I, again, I have to look at Glenda's LinkedIn myself and see she is very stacked on the corporate side and out of touch, but We'll forgive her this time. Oh, absolutely. She got it. She got it right eventually. Yeah, she did get it right eventually. Sarah, do you get any, like, because I know you talk about, Yeah, people call me Sarah or Sierra. Yeah, they call me all kinds of weird things. But also, like, you were mentioning the the fact that this woman was the whitest, like, like, you talked about the first time you experienced that as Jamaican and your family Jamaican, that someone said you, labeled you as a black friend, that that was a, that was like, you know, do you get any pushback about even mentioning that from from audiences? Because I always I always feel protective of you because you're just expressing your truth. But I always feel like someone's like, "Oh, she tries to say she ain't black." Oh no, I mean, I I'm black, and I I make sure to say that at the beginning of my set because if I don't say that and then I say anything else about being or blackness, people be, get get very uncomfortable. Um, but I have you know been asked to stop saying. Uh, the n-word on stage by a white guy um i guess he was protecting me <laughs> i guess he was offended by me and all, i don't know and it wasn't even the n-word actually but it was just like a, a phrase but the thing is i have a lot of white energy and i feel like saying the n-word is like a vibe it's not like a it's not like a you're black and now you get to say it so like the name of the chapter is i'm black enough to be called it i'm not black enough to say it so oh, yeah and that's and that's fine because i i i really don't know where i would say it so but I do say, I do try to say it in the audiobook. <laughs> and then I realize I can't say it. Mm-mm, There's I other heard. things I can't say too, like stunting and deadass. I can't say those words either. Yeah, my my black scent goes in and out. Like sometimes I'll when I'm around certain people, like there's an episode that's out right now where there's certain people that I'm around where my voice like sounds more Chicago, really. Mm-hmm. But is, you know this, Erica. Chicago has a certain twang to it that people don't recognize. They think I'm doing like a black scent. It's Chicago scent, really. But they don't like it from me at all. Like it could sound like I'm appropriating a voice. Right. <laughs> like it's, Keith Robinson has been like, stop it. It's annoying me. Yeah, I'm much more comfortable doing the Jamaican thing, even though I'm bad at that. My mom says I make her sound like she's from Trinidad. <laughs> Now, Drew Barrymore's show had writers declined to return after host WGA strike controversy. I find this interesting because the three head writers of the Drew Barrymore show, they will not return. And this is sparking a conversation on where we are now after the WGA has reached an agreement. How do you all feel? Do you feel like it's still unknown territory? I'll go to you, Sarah. What is unknown territory? What do you mean? As far as the work. So Writers Guild is back, but the writers Mm -hmm. have decided not to return to the Drew Barrymore show, which is, that I did not expect. I thought that after the Writers Guild reached an agreement. I think they're just um, making a stand based on what Drew Barrymore, um, based on the fact that it took her a while to actually get on board with the strike. Um, but I think they're going to go work other places, and I think she's going to hire other WGA writers. 
Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what's going to happen. You don't have a choice, but I think that it is saying uh, the, the, the whole point of a strike, right? Not the whole point of a strike, but what happens is a strike is if you cross, if you cross the line, right, then there's consequences. That's basically what they're trying to say, right? Like, it's just like how, how, um, SAG and WGA, they say that if you cross the line and you're not a member, then you'll, they'll never, they'll never allow you to be a member. You know what I'm saying? Like there, there are consequences. And so I think with Drew Barrymore, where she tried to, you know, come out and, and, and say like, you know, I, I feel like we started in the pandemic and I feel like the people need me and I have to come back. That was like, basically like a fuck you to her, right? Her head writers who are a part of the WGA. And so now, and then shortly after that stunt, you know, okay, they were able to reach an agreement, you know, and now that, but they're like, no, you, it's, it's almost like I'm very particular about how I argue. It's probably because I have 12 siblings. I, I don't say, I, I, it's rare that you're going to find me saying something that I can't come back from. I stick to what we arguing about. I don't say things that are hurtful for the sake of being hurtful because I know there are hard, there are things you can't come back from. And I think that her writers are just show her like, you don't fuck that. I mean, they can't say it like that, but I'll say it. I'll say it in black print. That's what you call. Do you don't fuck that, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> you don't fuck that. Of course, they're gonna go get jobs other places. Like, and she'll get new writers. But I think that it's it's basically showing people like, no, this is this will not be tolerated. And there is no loyalty to. Essentially, what Jerk Drew Barrymore, who I am a fan of, and she's had me on her show multiple times, but they're essentially saying, "Yes, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how all of it works out moving forward." I hate to do this, but we do have to leave it here. This has been an amazing conversation with women of color, which is the true premise of this podcast. Thank God. S spoiler. Uh, <laughs> friends like us. Thank you so much again for coming today and taking time out. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure meeting you, Erica. Good luck on your comedy journey. Sarah, it was a pleasure meeting you and talking to you and, and good luck on, you know, kind of rediscovering you know, like where exactly you want to be and what, what stories you want to tell and what you want to do. And good luck being an actress. And, you know, that's your like childhood dream. Good luck. Marina, thank you always so much for having me. Um, I just want people to watch my special. Yes. Watch my special. October 24th, it appears, it premieres worldwide on Amazon Prime. If you don't have Amazon Prime, just get the trial, watch my joint, and then you could cut it back off, okay? Order something overnight, and then you could cut it back off. Um, but Amazon Prime is called Hijabs Off, H-I-J-A-B-F Off, um, October 24th, just to watch my special, of course. If you Google me, like, you know, you'll see my Instagrams and all of the, my social media and you can come to a show, but just watch my special. October 24th, hijabs off. With friends like us, there's, there are people that can, you know, remember your jokes and tell you not to go to Queens and have three-hour conversations with you to help you along your journey. Yes! And now, Erica, tell our listeners where they can find you. Well, for the... Um, algorithm just follow me on social media at erica switzer on instagram and youtube at the erica switzer on tiktok and twitter always go to ericaswitzer.com you can check out my link tree or i'll keep you updated on all the places i'll be appearing in the chicago land area and who knows where else i'll pop up uh, apparently next year i'm going to be an ambassador for the fifth year of the black women in comedy laugh fest in beautiful new york city and also uh, 
making an appearance in August for a first impressions graduation spot at Chocolate Sundays in Laugh Factory Hollywood. So catch me here, there, and in between. Love you guys. And with friends like us, you can make anywhere home. Oh, thank you, Erica. Thank you so much. It was so nice to see you and meet you through the virtual space. Sarah Cooper! (laughs) Yes! Check out my book. It's called Foolish Tales of Assimilation, Determination, and Humiliation. It's available wherever books are sold. And, um, yeah, with friends like us, like, who needs anyone else? Yes! (laughs) We don't need nobody else! Marina Franklin here. Just go to my website, marinafranklin.com. And with friends like us, you can have all women doing comedy is um yeah (laughs) yeah we just we just doing it we just doing our thing we're doing comedy and we're gonna rise to the top and whatever man wants to come with us then you're welcome but listen have to be supportive motherfucker you have to be supportive motherfucker yes check Check us us out. out